What's up, party people? I mean, I know I've been pretty quiet about this, but I'm going to the Fringe this year. That's right. Myself, Duffy Connors, and Shine and Johan are the tip boxes, and we will be at Dropkick Murphy's Bar from the 1st to the 25th of August at 6.45pm every fucking night doing the stand-up goodness that you know us so well, or maybe not so well, for on the London circuit. But before that, we have, or I have, a great guest for you today. The main reason I do this podcast is to learn things from other people, right? And I think from this conversation, I have learned so much about how to move forward in stand-up. My guest today is the lovely Robin Perkins, and she has been going and doing comedy for a while. She's been doing it in different places, different countries, and obviously you hear about that in on the thi- on the thing, on the episode, in the episode, that's right. We get into pretty much everything from diversity, America, and a little show that you may or may not have heard of called Life in Pieces. So yeah, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Robin Perkins. So Robin Perkins, how are you? Uh, good. How are you? <laughs> I'm actually really good. I've never been to this part, like to this properly part of London, so this is quite nice. But that's what we kind of do. We travel for laughs and stuff. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, you've travelled a bit more than I have for laughs. So. Yeah, uh, very far. <laughs> I have flown places for gigs. Nice. So where? Uh, where uh, well I just got I, the furthest is Australia so I just got back from two and a half months there in gigging in Perth Adelaide Sydney Melbourne and Singapore mm-hmm. so that uh, I have gigged in the states but that's where I'm from so that's kind of cheating um, and then just all around Europe nice. I guess so when where were you born in the states, where uh, in the states? New Hampshire so New I'm Hampshire. just about an hour north of Boston I've actually been there have you? Why? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I went on a school ski trip on a school skiing trip, and it was we went to the maple we went to the um, the maple syrup factory. Yes, that's what we do. Nice. Oh, that's perfect. Oh my god, they make the best pancakes ever. Did you eat there? Uh, no, we didn't <gasps> eat there. No. Oh my god, they do. Oh my, it's so good. It, they like I don't know what they do to the pancakes, but you have so many like they'll have maple syrup factories mm. and then they just make the pancakes mm. and corn fritters and it's uh, crazy. Nice. Like I just remember like getting off the getting off the coach there and there was like a group of kids from the area and I don't think they'd ever seen such a multi a multicultural group of people before so it was like oh, it was like that scene in Jurassic, <laughs> it was like that scene in Jurassic Park where the dinosaurs actually looking looking through the car <laughs> um no 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 I, I do have a joke in my set about how white New Hampshire is it is very <laughs> like nothing yeah so beautiful yep. mountain beautiful it, oh mountain, it's so. beautiful like the state is beautiful but politically not beautiful Trump did well by <laughs> so what got you into comedy uh, just on a whim, I nice. was working at a landscape architecture firm, and a friend of mine did a comedy course, and I just decided to try it. So yeah, as you're saying about the comedy co- comedy course. Oh event. right, I just did it on a whim. It was um, Jeff Whiting's course. Nice. It was ten weeks long, and I just from the second I held the mic for the first time, I mm. loved it. Like I just, I actually called my sister that night and was like, in one way or another. 
mm-hmm. I will be doing this for the rest of my life. Nice. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't one of those people that always had like this drive to be a comedian. Like I didn't no. study comedy my whole life. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, the first day of the course, um, I, I, cause I had only seen live comedy like three times before the first day, which one of which was when I was 17 years old in Grand Cayman doing research on Coral Reeves. I saw Mitch Hedberg. <laughs> It was amazing. No. It was, yeah, it was. Uh, and I mean, like, I still remember some of his set. I remember exactly where we were sitting, and like, we were quoting him the mm. entire trip down there. But I obviously had no idea yeah. how cool that experience was. Like, but I think he was probably the only comedian I could name for that reason. And so nice. on the first day, we were just saying amazing. our favorite comics, and mm. I pull out Pat. And so I'm sure people are like, oh, this must be some really knowledgeable girl but I'm like literally missing <laughs> comedy three times so yeah he really he liked his drugs didn't the old Mitch Hedberg he oh yeah was... he came out with like a black hoodie mm. and just like over pulled over his head and just like didn't look at the audience just looked at the ground and just spoke and we all I mean we were 17 or 18 but we were also most of us were super naive like, yeah like super naive yeah um, more naive than most 18-year-olds. But uh, I remember being like, is he high or is this an act? I don't mm. understand. And now I'm like, because at the time I was like, I bet he's just pretending to be high. <laughs> There's no way he'd go on stage actually high. And now I'm like, nah, he was high. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. That's, that's, that heroin's a fucking scary drug, man. That's yeah, yeah, that was his, I think, from what I've heard, that that was his main drug of choice. And that was... Yeah. It was interesting to see like the, the like how he started off to how he is at the very at the very very end. Yeah, I I have not watched his entire back catalog, but yeah. Sweet. So who are your top? Who are your favorite comedians other than like Mitch Hedberg? No. Obviously. So okay, and people ask me this all the time. I know it's the most annoying it, question. It is the but... most annoying question. If you're gonna ask me to tell you a joke soon, I'm not doing it. Oh fuck no. <laughs> But, okay, and I should have just, like, a stock answer, but then every single time, I think um, because I wasn't one of those people that watched a lifetime of comedy, a lot of the, a lot of my favorite comics are comics that I have got to know because I've Mm. been seeing them live. Having said that, I would say Robin Ince and Sarah Pascoe. Brilliant. So I am... Like the last year and a half, two years, I've been, no, probably two and a half years, I've been incorporating science into my stand-up more, Mm -hmm. um, which I love. And both Sarah and Robin, in very different ways, are very good at writing comedy that has a greater meaning. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with jokes that don't have a greater meaning, but both of them make you think in very different ways outside of just this is funny and laughing yeah I think that's one of the great things that comedy can actually do like just make you just look at yourself well maybe not look at yourself but look at things from a different look at things from a different perspective and just see things not uh, uh, see the things are probably more than just they are what they are if that makes any sense whatsoever yeah yes exactly yeah because you're when you're laughing your guard is down yeah and that's when you get to actually let things sink in yeah well the audience has to let things sink in and we get to put things in their brain. Yes. 
That makes it sound really uh, psychotic. Yeah, yeah, I know, but but I like it. But that's essentially what we're that's essentially what we're doing. I'm, I know I'm, I've only been doing this for like a year and a half, so I'm speaking like I'm a fucking scholar. But, <laughs> like, but that is... let me teach you a little something about comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been actually been doing it? Uh, it'll I uh, seven and a half years. Amazing. That's... So yeah. Um, how do you think that the uh, how do you think the London comedy circuit compares to comedy circuits across the over the glo- across the globe? Because you've done it in Australia and America and Singapore. Uh, and I I think personally I think London is the best place to grow up doing comedy. Yeah. Because more so in this than in the states, mm. and I don't entirely know enough about Australia because most of the stuff I did there were festivals however um, the general public just invests into live comedy in the UK and so you can go to an open mic and have audience members and I know comics will complain like oh there was like three audience members there and the rest were comics and you're like that's three audience members yeah exactly and you go to boston and it'll be i just remember the first time i started gigging there i went to like quote the best of the mike whitney in boston which like it was it was run really well i i get like it is one of the best i don't mean to diss it but it was um started at 7 p.m on a tuesday great time and uh, I had become friends with the guy that ran it, and he's like, oh, I'll put you on early. And then I get there, and he puts me on, like, 11, 12, and I was like, oh, that's early. Mm. And they just have a sign-up sheet, and it reached 55, 60 people. And all of them, except for 10, were doing five-minute spots, and they just barrel through. Mm-hmm. Anybody can sign up, but there, are, there aren't audience members. they just people getting up, doing five minutes, getting down. and leaving. All the comics are at the back, just talking, and if they're friends with you, then they'll start stop and listen to your set to like mm. hear what you've written new, and then they'll go back to talking. And it's just, I remember the very first time I did it, it was my first gig in Boston, and my sister is, um, she's my best friend, but she was like, I'm gonna be here for your first ever gig <laughs> in the states, and she wakes up for work at like seven in the morning, mm. and finally at ten to one in the morning, still going on. At this point in time, I wasn't friends with the guy that ran it. I just was somebody that came in, and I was like, oh, I was the one who emailed you. And he was like, oh, yeah, and put me at the bottom of the list because he didn't realize not who I was. But instead of showing up early, he was like, just show up and tell me that it's you, and I'll put you on at a decent spot. So he didn't realize it was me. And at 5 5 to 1, I was like, how much longer do you think it's going to go? And then he was like, oh, my God, I didn't realize it was you. But my sister, like, couldn't just couldn't stay she was mm. like i'm sorry i'm like falling asleep i really want to be here but there's like three people left in the bar <laughs> it was so horrible <laughs> but yeah it's, so you're sitting there being like we're lucky in london at the yeah. open mic level you have and you have other opportunities you don't get to do them every night but you have things like you know the up the creek gong and you have like i mean the comedy store gong isn't really a lovely gig situation mm-hmm. but you have like Angel that always has a crowd and has people doing first or second gigs on. You have, uh, like, it, there are so many well-run open mics. You like uh, We Are Funny was great. Like Laughs at the Lamb, uh, Right Funny. Like there's so many mm. London play- nights that are 
Really well run, yeah. Really well run, and you're going, this is an open mic. And yeah. so then when you start to move up in the world, it's like you can actually make a living. Like, mm. this is my job, which is amazing that this is my job, because I'm mm. nobody. Nobody knows who I am. So it's cool that I'm I'm making money. That's true. At it. That, that leads me to another question I was going to ask you. Um, how did you find bridging the gap between open mics to the club circuit? Yeah. How did you, yeah. I, a lot of people will, um, birth control got a lot of crap for like sending open spots around the country for mm-hmm. no pay. What I will say is I, I'm grateful for the experience I did. I went to York and back in one day mm. in a car to do a 10 minute unpaid spot, which I died on my ass. It was soul destroying, but you learn stuff. Like you see so many different types of audiences and you're on pro bills. And I Mm. think that you just gotta do open spots over and over and over again, because it is a different ball game between open mics and Mm. pro nights. But um, I think in theory, Angel is really great to bridge that gap because they are 10 minutes spots that are pro nights um having said that with the circuit being what it is you look at the lineups on weekends and it's all people who comedy is their full-time job so it's not Mm. really it was designed for that semi-pro but it's gotten to the point where it's like people are doing it at our yeah um but i think that's it was fine i mean you have some gigs that are horrible i Mm. yeah and but I think, yeah, it, was, it wasn't it was just open mic to pro bills. It was no. very much open mic, and you spend years doing open spots, yeah. and then you... Move on, yeah. Because yeah. I've got my first open spot with Murph Control in September. Mm. So I'm just trying to get on to... Well, obviously I did. I was cheeky, and I tried to apply for the paid middle or whatever else, but I said open spot as well, and they said, yeah, we'll give you the open spot. And Yeah, I think I agree that's the way to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the dangers is putting yourself forward too quickly. Yeah. You will burn bridges. That's it. If you get into a spot that you're not ready for, that promoter will probably never see you as a as a credible candidate again. Mm. But if you go, you know what, I'm not ready for a 15 to 20, let me show you with a 10, then they'll see you do well and go, mm. wow, what do you want to do later? And I think that the comics that have a good sense of awareness yeah. of... You know, this is what I'm ready for because it does hurt you. And I, oh, I definitely pushed myself too far too fast and I was not ready for some of the spots that I was given. And it does hurt you. People will then look back and assume that you're at the same level that you were five years ago, which Mm. is ridiculous. Ridiculous. But I think that, yeah, in the same way of doing your first hour too early is very detrimental. Yeah. I think that doing putting yourself forward for spots before you're ready is also to be detrimental yeah. yeah i can put that's that's actually made so much sense that's yeah. great and that's <laughs> that's kind of the reason why i do this so i can speak to people who are above me in the game and get advice from again get advice from you guys i think that is i think that's really good advice yeah, yeah. thank you so what was gonna what was i gonna ask you next yeah so best gig and worst gig <laughs> you don't have to mention names. No, like, no, it's fine. Uh, I mean, names. Okay. Um, I think my favorite gig that I've done so far, I did Perth Fringe World, uh, yeah, and brought my show Ten Thousand Decisions over there, mm-hmm. and 
was in this awesome room that was like in the round, uh, but on the, the 200 seater, but on the Saturday night, they had another function. So moved me to this mm. theater, which was in like one of the hub venues. Mm. And so I had, I just to do my solo show to over 200 people in this massive theater on a Saturday night. It was just, it was awesome. It was just yeah. great. That was, that's been my favorite gig so far, I think. It was awesome. Amazing. Worst. <laughs> worst. Okay, I have two worst ones for Good. totally different reasons. <laughs> and one of them, it totally came up recently. So um, I did all the competitions. and uh, but So I did the Mirth Control like Bath New Act of the Year in 2012. So I've been going less than three months. So you can imagine, like, mm. I was not good. <laughs> and all of my material was really dirty. And I made it to the final on a wild card. And I got in there. I was the only one who had been going less than a year. And I, it was Bath on a Sunday, mm-hmm. like, early evening. And I just had, a, it, we were supposed to do seven to eight minutes, and I had seven minutes. Ooh. And it was all dirty. Like, it was just 100% dirty. I mean, some of it was clever dirty. There were mm. some math problems, but there were math problems <laughs> about jizz. So, like, just dirty. And it was horrible. Like, I just, I died, and it was that feeling of within, within 30 seconds, I knew Mm-hmm. that this was going to be awful and there was just nothing I could do about it because like now if I say something that people don't like I have another gear and I can switch it and be like mm-hmm. oh you don't like dirty stuff I'll do this but three months in and uh, and they they wrote a review on the night um, which you know, the best thing uh, that that reviewer I am, I am grateful because uh, he did not mention my name mm-hmm. so it is very hard to google it mm-hmm. don't try and it said, the first thing everybody had ever written about me was, are the new acts any good? Emphatically, yes, with the possible exception of an American girl that just had a spectacularly obscene rant about her genitals. <laughs> and, yeah, so, I, I mean, it wasn't wrong. Like, it was, no. it was horrible. I died. I died on my ass. But recently, I went to the festival, like the meet and greet of all the festivals that Simon Cain set up. Mm. And I was talking to Nick who runs the Bath Comedy Festival. And he was like, I remember Mm. you from the competition. And I was like, oh God, don't (laughs) remember me from that competition. That was like, first of all, seven years ago, but also (laughs) the worst gig of my life. (laughs) Like still worst gig of my life. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think that's number one. I also, oh, number two was another competition final. I don't know what that says about me. Two of my top five worst gigs ever was, yeah, was another competition final. Oh, horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I recently did one in Cork County, which was bad for all different reasons. Really? It was in a local, a village that was a population of roughly 150. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and the they everybody was sitting at the bar, so they were facing the back of the bar. Mm. And so the mic slash stage area, which is definitely in air quotes, mm. stage area <laughs> was to their back. And nobody was listening. Everyone oh, was talking. Um, and then when we finished... Uh, a local got up and was like, oh, you guys suck at comedy. Let me do some comedy. 
opened with a homophobic joke. I mean, these are all pub jokes that she nice. didn't write. Not that it would make it better if she did write them. Yeah. But still, like, opened with homophobia, then crossed over to racism, and nice. ended on a rape joke. Like, okay. it was... She hit the trifecta. Good I for know, her. I know, I know. And they fucking her. loved it. And we're sitting there going, oh my god, this is horrendous. Yeah. And the worst bit about it is that after that gig... We were staying with the woman who set it up, and then she lectured us on how we didn't do enough research to do to play the gig well. I'm sorry, and, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, first of all, you are not paying me enough money to do research on all 150 people in this village, mm-hmm. even though only 10 people showed up. Second of all, <laughs> I know what these... I, this is not my first time gigging in Ireland. Like, I, I know what Ireland's about. Uh, so I did, basically, I pulled out, I only have two jokes that mention religion, and yep. I pulled both of them out, knowing, like, I know that Ireland, like, especially that, villages in like... Ireland are super religious, set, like, very religious, and the reason why I did religious jokes is because nobody was listening, and I mm. knew that if I mentioned religion, they would stop talking and listen yeah. to me. And, did they and I was right. Yeah. Like, and, but then she's like, you can't make religious jokes. I was like, yeah, but did that make them listen? Yeah. yeah. Don't like I didn't do it by accident. I have two hours of material. Do you really think I'm gonna pull out the two jokes I have on religion by accident? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I was the only sober one in the room. But no, she just didn't. <laughs> uh, I think the it it um it ended with because we were all just basically being like you're talking the entire time. Nobody's even facing us. Like it's a respect thing. Like, yeah. We have come to perform. Like you can at least respect the fact that we are there. And then she just goes, you've come into our village. Oh, yeah, but... We don't have to respect you. You have to respect us. And I was like, oh, my God, I am fucking... I can't get out of here because there is no public transportation. The nearest village is a three-hour walk, and I don't drive, nor do I have a car. But fuck you if I could leave, I would. Fuck, that's bad. It was awful. (laughs) I'm funny, but, like, they brought you into the area. They invite I'm not like a I'm not like some dancing jester. Like No. I'm a professional. That's it. That's fuck that's fucked up. I'm sorry. That's I'm it's messed up. Yeah. I'm so sorry that's happened to you. But, no, it's it's fine. I mean it was oh. But I'm I'm sort of <laughs> guessing that those kind of places aren't used to comedy mm. either. No no no. They've no idea. They've never seen live comedy. Exactly. Ever. Exactly. But it's it's frustrating that um the woman who organized it didn't have the foresight to go guys this is what needs to happen yeah and also she should have prepared the people who who were there she should have prepared the little town that she was in that if you are going to come this is how this is how it needs to be like, does she promote a lot of comedy in Ireland? No, 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 okay, they, no, okay, that's no, a, no. that's another issue. Also, it's like you look at that village and nobody's interested in comedy in that village. So why would you bring it there? Because they had us at a theater the next night, and so they wanted to like tag on an extra night. And the pub were like, oh, if we put on some comedy, it'll bring more people to the pub. And I'm like, that's the worst. That's the worst thing. That's the worst way to advertise a comedy club to well okay. people don't advertise that's the other problem yeah yeah it was i was long all around but anyway it's fine it's fine like makes you stronger do you know that's great that you've gigged abroad that's really great that you've gigged abroad because um what i found at the moment being on the london being mainly in the london circuit and i've gigged outside of london a few times what i found is you can get london funny 
which is great, but it doesn't translate to outside of the M25. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There is all kinds of like yeah. different social views, and I mean, again, being American, I have to tailor my set depending on what Trump has tweeted. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it sucks. Like you go out in yeah, different areas are. But I, it, I don't it, even bother mentioning the tube. Don't even bother mentioning. <laughs> well, also when you go up north, like I'm at an advantage actually with this accent because I don't ever mention that I live in London. Yeah. You go up north, they hate people that live in London, so I yeah. just am American with a non-descriptive where I live in England. Yeah. But um, but that's I mean part of that is yeah I don't know it's it's hard when you've only gigged in London and you have so much London-centric yeah. jokes that. I can understand how the feeling outside of London is going, look, mm. you're not the only place that exists. Yeah. We exist too. Oh, yeah. Acknowledge Definitely. us. So, exactly. But, yeah, I mean, you just gotta, you got to say tube, say you've got to. Piccadilly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, like you've got to. For Lime Street, just change yeah. the train station. Yeah, screw <laughs> it. I'll just say um, Northern, Northern Rail or some shit or some shit yeah. like that. But I think it's, it's almost imperative that you, when you're gigging, you do go outside of your outside of your circuit yeah. because otherwise you can't learn about other people or whatever else like I had I'm sorry I'm going off a little bit here but um, when I was in Nottingham I died on my ass completely fell off the stage and everything <laughs> you fell off the stage oh that's yeah, amazing fell off the sta- yeah it was I, yeah and there were two critics in the, there were two critics in the audience mm-hmm. at the time and what I learned from the bad reviews was that I was just, well, one, I was obviously used to playing a London crowd and I was treating them like they were a London crowd, which they're not. And also, I was treating them like they're a small room when there were like 100 people in the room. So now from that, I've learned that I need to play every room as if it's like the O2 Arena. It's, no, it's that, it's not that. It's that every single gig is different. Yeah. And you should learn something from every single gig. No matter what. Like, there, you will never hit the same gig twice. No. You can't. Even if you had the exact same crowd in the exact same room of the exact same venue, those people are different because since the last time they were there, their lives have been changed. So you will never have the same gig twice. And that's why in comedy nothing can substitute experience and which is also why I'm very grateful for all of the mirth control open Mm. spots because I just built up experience and I I had two very um, memorable uh, which one of these stories I've told many times but uh, open spots one of which was um, I remember being in the middle of nowhere like three hour drive outside of London and just exhausted and it was like midnight as we were heading back and John Pendle was like because I was just I was really annoyed because I was like oh I'm gonna get like an hour of sleep and I just kind of was at like a breaking point of exhaustion and he was like there is he was like this is our training this and it's true there's no university if you want to be a doctor you go to med school you want to be a lawyer go to law school there's no University for comedy. So that's what your open spots are. They're your fucking university. And people that try to skip that or do one really great open spot and think that they can do paid spots. It's like you don't have the experience. You have to know the experience. When I was gigging in 
Singapore, it was me and uh, another pro comic and then a bunch of comics with, um, with various levels of experience, but everybody got so angry at the audience that night because they weren't laughing enough. And it became to the point where they were berating the audience, which was, they were not a bad audience. And mm. it was just a level of experience that me and this other pro comic were like, it's fine. You're mm. just one of those crowds that's going to smile. And as soon as you, and everyone's like, you don't like dirty things. So I went on stage and I was like, everyone's just yelling at you. Mm. We're going to have a good time. You're going to smile. It's going to be great. And about mm. three quarters of the way into my set, I'm going to tell you a dirty joke and you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the jit. <judge. laughs> but it was just one of those things of experience. But um, you just have to go with the mindset of learning something from every gig. And remember ages ago, I was doing a uh, open spot in Coventry, a mirth control gig. And it was, um, so Larry Dean was hosting, Matt Green was opening, I was on, I was in an open spot with somebody else, and then Matt Price was closing. And the room was super wide, it was had long tables, it was Coventry, like, <laughs> not to, like, it was, it was not a, it wasn't a pleasant gig like we're in the green room and Matt Price was like this is one of these gigs where comedy is a team sport <laughs> and both Larry and Matt did the best they could but it was the room was so wide that once you got like the right side of the room listening then the left side would start talking and it was just a struggle right and I think Matt Green like who's was phenomenal had them listening for like five minutes out of a set also i should mention that the crowd was a good four meters from the quote stage which was like just a platform the dj refused to give us the radio mic so we were tied to the stage with a very short lead and also the only lighting was an up light so it looked like a campfire amazing so then the open spots go on and larry was like look just you're not getting paid for this just last as long as you want um, and I think I managed seven or eight minutes and they listened to one of my jokes, which I thought was a win. Mm. And then the other open spot, uh, would, I, which is not about him, but didn't, wasn't great. And then was upset about not because of the performance, cause he definitely thought he did well, but, mm. um, <laughs> it was more, uh, so, and then he chose material that was not right for the room. Mm. Fine. Um, it's your prerogative to do whatever you want. Then Matt goes on headlining. Nobody has had a good gig at this point in time. Mm. And it is what most people would call an unplayable room. Matt, first of all, demands the radio mic and basically takes it off of the DJ. He's now come off the stage and is like starting to set. At which point, five minutes in, a fight breaks out. Nice. And Matt being, what I think he's like 6'6 six, six or 6'8, six, like a large man, stands on a table, starts yelling at the people in a fight, and then completely gets control of the room and rips it. And just, nice. St- like, just d- has a great gig. And all five of us are now on a car journey home for however far Coventry is from London. And this other open spot was so angry about it. And, and, and at one point in time, Matt was like, oh, I'm so lucky that a fight broke out. Mm. And I remember just thinking, that is amazing that you have that much experience that you can see a fight and not freak out, but use it to your advantage to storm a gig. Mm. And the other open spot was like, I'm so sick of this. These are useless. This was a useless gig. And I just oh, went off shit. on it. I was like, you just saw Larry Dean and Matt Green, two, like Larry is a phenomenal comic. Yeah. Like everybody on that stage, 
struggle mm. and then the headliner rip it because he has the how did you not learn something from that gig Fuck how did hell. you not like how are you that dumb that you can't watch that show and go wow okay what i thought was unplayable is actually playable because every room is playable exactly anyway. i had that almost exact same experience with actually myself a couple of few days ago when I was at a gig and we, the gig's from 9 till 9 to 11 it's usually quite a calm sort of lively-ish crowd right this week this this Friday they were almost insane heckling people just talking for everyone's sets and I was second in the second I was second in the second half and I had four friends coming down to see me yeah and they paid to get in oh wow right? so it just got to me and the guy who opened before me or the person the person that opened before me died people were talking at the set yelling at her in the crowd and even the MC was dying at this point yeah so I get brought on and I just go in with the mindset do you know what fuck it I'm just gonna go I'm gonna forget all my, I'm gonna forget all my timing I'm gonna go in punching 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 see how far I get yeah I was the only person to get laughs on that fucking on that on that fucking night. Yeah. And I just felt like, okay, now I'm ready for Edinburgh. <laughs> now I'm ready. You're gonna regret saying that. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, but again, it's about it, knowing the audience. It's, well, no, but listening. that's one gig that you yeah. recognize that you had enough valuable experience from. Yeah. But it's also about, I think it's about listening to the audience and recognizing what they sort of like and don't like it's also about watching other comics and yeah. learning from every everyone that's on the stage yeah amazing i love this conversation i just love these conversations i've actually learned so much more from this like 34 minutes than i have <laughs> genuine no, I'm, I'm genuinely serious i've learned so much more about comedy and stuff in the last 34 minutes than i have in like the past three or four months of gigging and I think conversations like this are actually quite important and listening yeah so, yeah so yeah life in pieces <laughs> <laughs> oh I love it it's such a I, it's such a good show cause I, and I went back to like watch like ten minutes of it before I came mm. down here and even though I went through all four seasons which the last season that I saw was probably a year ago or so I just love it. Everything, mm. all of it. It's just so fun. It. It's, it. it's yeah. lovely. It's it's heartwarming, and it, it can be dirty. Some of it. It can be really, <laughs> really. Yeah, I guess it can. I don't know. It's. I mean, I love how like. Mm, yeah, I guess it can be. I don't know. It's. Yeah, it it makes me giggle. Yeah. Which I love. It kind of makes me giggle, like in that sort of naughty school child kind of way. <laughs> And some of the things yeah. we talk about. I just in each character. I mean, it is. It's it's both stereotypical American and mm. yet very much not stereotypical American. Yeah. Every, uh, I mean, every family has like a quirky, insane character. Yeah. And there are so many. Like they're so insane, each in their own different ways. Like um, Diane Weist's mother is <laughs> absolutely. She is the epitome of every hippy dippy stereotype that I you know. that you see. So it's, comfortable with her sexuality, yeah. which is also like it's just um, yeah, it's it's hilarious. I love it, and I I mean I love I love the way that they name the episodes. They're like a yeah. set list. Yeah. Uh, which is great. Um, but yeah, and even the characters that you think, even the outside. Like the the 
characters that have married into the family. Yeah. And it's, it's great how over the four seasons their insane little... The insane little family. Yeah, that, comes yeah. out. Yeah. I just... I think the last one I watched was the first episode of the second season, right? Oh, yeah. Was that and the first date, I think? Or no, what? which one was it? That was when, we, when the son... Has just come has just has come back and he's gonna marry the and he's gonna marry the girl for he's gonna marry the girl from university I believe right oh and right they're, yeah they're meeting her parents turns out they're very close parents yes <laughs> oh my god yeah I remember that yeah that is oh my god Holly, yeah I know I, <laughs> oh they yeah <laughs> but yeah um so the cost this is amazing as well let's be honest the what the cast list is amazing. oh yeah like yes. colin hanks first of all yeah i i i'm i can't decide who he looks more like rita wilson or tom hanks <laughs> yeah he's been in so much lately yeah. as well yeah no he's great i love his wife <laughs> <laughs> so much yeah I think there's an episode when they i don't know if you saw it when they started meditating yeah uh, yes. <laughs> uh, where they were like, we just kind of go meditate right exactly. now. And everyone's like, no, 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 you just take your time. You just... <laughs> so good! Yeah, I, yeah everything. That, they get it just so right. Yes. And I think cutting it after four seasons is a very good... is a good idea. It is sad, though. I'm it is so, sad. I'm so... Because you could just... Oh, they're... Mm. It, oh, because the episodes are almost... They're not almost... They are... You know when you see some observational comedy that yeah. is just so spot on? Yeah. And that's the way it is. They have these ridiculous characters that are so spot on of observational comedy put into scenes. Yeah. It's just... Uh, yeah. It's amazing. Um, but in a way, I think that if they did let it carry on a little bit longer, it, they have the danger of doing what Modern Family's done and sort of becoming a little bit more hit and miss than it what than it has been. I guess, but I think because the structure, I think the the structure of it being four short stories every yeah. episode allows you to have a certain level of discontinuity. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it would be easier to carry it on longer. Okay. Also, I mean, it's not like you don't have a team of writers no. and they and because today's society is changing then all of the different again it's just it's like saying observational comedy everyone you know with this many comics every joke's been written <laughs> the world changes you yeah. know like nobody was writing avocado jokes 20 years ago because it wasn't a thing yeah and like oh and all these little things like the whole that tiny house this is amazing i love <laughs> the tiny house oh don't we just hate gentrification yeah it? well i mean but all of these little i don't know i guess it's yeah i mean i i am sad that it is ended. yeah I can imagine, yeah, I can understand that. And just same here a little bit as well. Because it's so rare that you get a family orientated sitcom which actually is for everyone in the family. Yeah. Because you've got James Brolin and Diane Weist for the out for well, you not screw up my genera- our generation as well because they're great. You've got the you got the semi millennial you got the semi millennials as well. And yeah. then you've got the kids. Yeah. And they've all got their own different. They've all got their own different storylines, right? Yes. And they're equally as, in, the characters are equally as important as each other. Right. 
and I think that's a hard thing to pull off yes. in 22 minutes. With so many different, yeah, storylines. But then there's also like the people that have been married for ages and have kids, and then there's like the son that is the only one who's not married yeah. at the when the show started, and then there's like. So there's all these different... There really is a character that relates to everyone. Everyone. That's yeah. right. And it's quite... And um, I quite like the fact that it's quite a diverse cast. It's quite racially... It's a semi-racially diverse cast as well. A lot of points during the series. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Which... Yeah. Yeah. Compared to other sitcoms... Compared to other sitcoms... You're right. Compared yeah. to other sitcoms, I'm like... Is it Compa- right? Compared to other sitcoms... <laughs> We're not quite in um, all that ter- all that territory just yet, but yeah. compared to other sitcoms, I'd say it's Ish. a little bit. It's pushed things in the right direction. Yeah, if, I guess, I guess, yes. Or, or rather, it doesn't rely on stereotypes. It's yes, yes. That I think is a bigger feat. Yeah, because sorry to bring it back to Modern Family, um, even though they do have Gloria and Manny. Gloria is always the fun. It's always gonna be the funny Colombian one. They're not gonna understand. Yeah. No, I know. There's not a. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't. The humor is not relying on stereotypes. That's even like even gender stereotypes as well because yeah. the women aren't all stressed out. Um, stressed yeah. out smothers to say to put it like that. Um, no, you're right. Like that. And the men can also take. The more feminine, like the more yeah. feminine, well, they are allowed. Huh, so that's very interesting. Yeah. I hadn't really thought that through. That the that yeah, it is just more complex humor. Yeah. I've newfound respect for it now. Yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah. like people like listen to people listen to the word diversity and think immediately, oh, people of different colors, which honestly it doesn't really have that no, much of. But if you look at the writing and how the characters are portrayed. It is, yeah, there are diverse personas yeah, on the show. That's it. Do we, do we have a gay, did we have a gay character in there yet? No. Okay. That's, and I was, when you started talking about that, I was like, hmm, I mean, so Samantha is how old by the end? She's not really, she was starting to date. 15, 16? Yeah. See, I just think that there is, at, if the show were to continue, like there's more development from like Sophia and Samantha yeah. as they start to yeah I completely grow up. I completely yeah. agree with the story mining but my issue would have been would they have been able to have kept Keep the, the level kept, kept the level of writing that's up crap that's like sitting there and being like come on does Bill Burr have any more jokes at his time that's, yeah that's a cop out that's like being like well I had a hit single and yeah. I don't want to risk that my next thing isn't going to be as good so I'm going to back out yeah it's a cop out but Parks and Rec did, that's what uh, that's why Parks and Rec ended themselves before I just, <laughs> I don't think that season 4 was any less funny than season 1 no so I don't think that in fact, the ratings went up. Like, it just, really? I thought. I mean, I don't know if the... Maybe not. Maybe... I don't know. I, may, I, don't, I could be wrong. Well, I don't know. It's... I'm upset. I disagree. <laughs> Officially on record, I disagree. Pull it out. Um, but maybe some other... Maybe Amazon will pick it up full time. Maybe. Because... That'd be great. I mean, yeah. there's more. There's more there. I want to see more. Yeah, me too. 
And it's just like not fair that yeah. a sitcom like according to Jim can go on to go on to like eight or nine seasons. I know. And this, which is actually well written. Yeah. Gets really kind after life. Everything. Four. It's like it's because again, because of the four short stories, it's like a highly toned club set of yeah. like there's no fat. Like you're able because it's so cut up throughout mm. the four episodes you're trimming all of the fat and the intro and mm. the all that filler space so it's so punchline heavy and every story has a title card yeah and every has a title for it like i think that allows it to be so cut yeah and so you don't need like this is the storyline of this episode rather than that it's more of like this is one funny moment this is one funny moment this is one funny moment just yeah and then at the end it'll all come together because and they will kind of, generally, it will all come together. All uh, the characters will meet at one point. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. It's just really, yeah. really nice. I love it. So. I want to go watch it now. I yeah. don't have time. Actually, yeah. Because so, I leave for Edinburgh in five days. That's um, good. Six days. Six days. Five oh. days. So are you going up before? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Five days I leave for Edinburgh. So are you going up before? <laughs> you're going up before the before the song. Yeah, I yeah. help Laughing Horse set up, so I'm doing that for nice. a few days. Um, yeah, I always have done. And then my first show is a week from Wednesday. Okay, and that's called mating selection. selection. Mating selection. That's right. Yes, in uh, Underbelly. So, um, what made you choose that title? Go back to comedy. So, because I've been uh, like the show it, last year at the Fringe, I did a dating show in front of a live audience Oof. as one of uh, as one of the spots to exit flyer for my show, mm-hmm. and um, it was the most uncomfortable that I have been on stage ever mm-hmm. in seven and a half years. Amazing. And uh, the whole show was such an interesting experience, but it led me to really look at what are the morals in dating? Yeah. Like, why, how does social pressure influence the way that we date today? And what does that come out of? And what's the science behind it? And so because I am, I just always figured that when people write material, they just research. Mm. I did not realize that that is not normal. (laughs) Uh, And it's because my brain has, I was a marine biologist and then I was a landscape architect and both of those careers are very research heavy. So I have been, since the age of like five, I've just been trained to, if you don't know something, if you don't understand something, research it. And so I was having, it actually, there was a very specific moment. So Binti Blair, who uh, runs Hot Water, is a good friend of mine. And uh, because I used to be an architect, I um, designed with him uh, the original, or the Hot Water on Mm -hmm. Blair Street. So... Benji brought me up there for three days and was like, let's just sketch for three days. And, like, so I have all, like, the hand drawings of the... (laughs) That's wicked. Yeah, (laughs) it's pretty cool. Uh, But, and because I've known him for years and he's seen my comedy kind of develop over years. um, And this was, it must have been 2016, maybe? 2015, 2016? I don't know exactly. Somewhere in there. I should know that. Anyway, uh, maybe even 17. But after spending three days with him, he was like, no offense, but you are so much more interesting than your research would let anybody know. Mm. Like, 
having spent just three days straight with you, like you have so much experience and so much background, but like your comedy is all about like superficial yeah. sex stuff. Like it's stupid. <laughs> that, every, that anyone could talk about, right. right? Yeah. And so it just kind of, the combination of that and then realizing that not everybody researches everything, I've started actually writing about like the science and all the stuff that I research because it's not just I'm going to write about science. It's like if I'm last year's show, like I am very indecisive. I struggle with making decisions. So last year's show was, okay, what's the neuroscience of decision making? How do we make decisions? And it's like the amygdala with the prefrontal cortex and how you, what are their roles? And then the whole show is about how your brain makes decisions. Right. And then uh, this year, because of this, I'm going, okay, well, how does society influence the way that we date? And so the show is about, like, how both love and morality are basic biological functions. And I explore, like, the scientific evidence behind that. What is the neuroscience of love? What is, like, the evolution of, bio- of morality? And then that is weaved through me retelling the story of my experience on the dating show. That is amazing <laughs> thanks and like, so the reason why it's called mating selection is i wanted a title that both portrayed the science aspect of things but also dating yeah exactly that's that is phenomenal i'm genuinely like in awe of that that's <laughs> great. not just the, not just the not just the, the whole research thing but also your past careers that's that's wow. great that's fantastic thanks. <laughs> right. cheers so <laughs> Where can they see you next? Just to wrap this up. Yeah, where can yeah. people see you? Well, where can they find you on social media first? So uh, it's Robin with a Y. So it's Robin H. Perkins on Twitter and mm-hmm. Miss underscore Robin underscore on Instagram uh, or Miss Robin Perkins on Facebook. And uh, if you're in Edinburgh, it is mating selection at 10 to 6 every day at Underbilly Sweet. in Bristol Square. Sweet. Robin, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So yeah, that was Robin Perkins, and I hope you all agree that that was such a great conversation. I really had a great time talking to her. Um, as always, guys, you can catch me on Twitter at your boy Gibbo, on Instagram at Gibbo Gibbogram One, and as I said before in the podcast, you can catch myself, Duffy Connors, and Shannon Johan at Dropkick Murphy's Bar in Edinburgh from the first to the twenty fifth of August at six forty five p.m. as the ticked boxes delivering that wonderful stand-up you know us so well for all right guys see you next time bye bye